listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business, your host, Tom Mayonect. You don't have to be a fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the Canadian Football League to have been moved by the passing of George Reed just a couple of weeks ago here. It's something that we have to get used to. Obviously, uh, the older baby boomers, a lot of them are leaving us. We've had big icons, uh, Gordy Howe, Jean Beliveau, and the likes of Mike Bossy and Guy Lafleur uh, leaving us way too early. In the case of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and George Reed, this was a guy who became not only one of the best running backs of all time in the CFL, but he became such a grounded ambassador of the Riders franchise. And it's a heritage brand in CFL history, in the history of three-down football. We had a chance last week to have a bit of a timeout, a bit of a tribute to George Reed, and also we talked about those first stars and how we get connected to them as role models when we ourselves are kids. We're going to get into one of the things that we talk about quite a bit. We're going to do it in under sad circumstances, the passing last week of George Reed of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Now, of course, we're very happy to have as part of the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network, 980 CGME in Regina and 650 CKOM in, in Saskatoon. And I'm very privileged and, and, and excited every week to be part of the Green Zone with Jamie and I and Drew Miranda on CJME and CKOM and have been privileged to be connected to those two radio stations in Saskatchewan going back to 2016. But this was a big loss for the football community in Saskatchewan. It was a big loss for the Rough Riders organization as a heritage brand in Canadian sport. And it's the passing of George Reed. And from a sport business point of view, obviously, whenever you have iconic players pass, especially in this baby boomer generation where more of that is happening uh, a lot, of very beloved hockey players and, and, and football players and athletes from other sports have, have passed. But when George Reed passed, it reminded me of how imprinted he was on me as a little guy back in the day. And we're talking, of course, the era of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that was George Reed, Ronnie Lancaster, and more. And as a kid growing up on the West Island of Montreal, I was, I, I, I have very, very clear memories of those being the top players in the Canadian Football League and a very special organization in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And George Reed is an example of what I call imprinting, where there's so much research that shows that between the ages of 8 and 12, Whoever you're being exposed to, whoever you're rooting for, you know, between that age of 8 and 12, winds up staying with you for life. If you change markets or change affiliations before the age of 8, the science shows that you're not 
as likely to carry those forward. But when you're cheering for the Montreal Canadiens or the Saskatchewan Rough Riders or the Toronto Blue Jays as an 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12-year-old, you tend to carry that team as your team of rooting interest and you tend to carry the players on that team as your favorite players of all time. To weigh in on this, we're joined by John Festinger, and he joins us here on the Sport Market, longtime contributor to the show. We've talked about imprinting before, John. Um, I know the obvious ones that come to mind are the Jean Bellevaux uh, for both you and I growing up in Montreal. But did you have a similar sense of loss when George Reed passed this week? And did it bring you back to your childhood um, you know, uh, as as a fan of the Canadian Football League back in the day. Well, it, it brought me back to being an Alouettes fan, as I was between 8 and 12. Um, and George Reed and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were, for many of those years, the best team in the CFL. And, uh, and, and beat us many times. So, yes, it absolutely hit me because it, it was part of my youth. And Saskatchewan was a team that I didn't appreciate. I wouldn't say hated, but they were a rival because you're fans, um, you know, of, of your home team, or at least I certainly was. Um, you know, and imprinting is very real. You can see it. Go, go to a Canucks game, go to a Maple Leafs game, um, and, and see the kids who are 8 and 12 around the rink. Uh, take a good look because that was you. Um, and, you know, that was when... Um, you understood the sport. I mean, many of us went uh, to games. I remember going to a baseball game when I was five. Did I really understand it? That's questionable. Uh, but by the time you're eight, you really understand the game um, and you can relate to the players, at least to the point of finding your favorite player and knowing who that is and being able to understand why or what it is you like about them or appreciate about them. Um, the other thing that I think is really important about imprinting is that there is a very profound relationship that we all have to, um, to our parents at that age. And sports is also transmissible. If you look at 8 to 12, um, generally a lot of your sports fandom will be transmitted uh, to some extent by your parents, by your dad or mom's sports fandom. So it's, it's multidimensional and it runs very deep. And it's reinforced by family. And anything that's reinforced by family is a huge psychological factor for all of us. And the point of strength and just how iconic a running back in the Canadian Football League, George Reed, was, uh, you know, is revealed when he's so relevant to us as baby boomers 
uh, looking back at that time where we were impressionable kids and we got that he was special on the field and certainly nothing changed in terms of how special he was off the field as a class act and an ambassador of one of the true heritage brands in the Canadian Football League, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Well, he stayed associated with the team. He stayed in the country. He stayed in the province. Um, he was revered, but he he had not only did everyone in Canada respect him, uh, he respected the country and he respected the fans. Um, it was a special relationship with a lot of class. I mean, when people talk about George Reed, they talk about his class, and that's very deserved. Next up, Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com joins us from Valencia, Spain, to pay tribute to Chris Snow and also to talk about the Seattle Kraken and their early years in the National Hockey League. That's next here on the special edition of the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. Now more of the Sport Market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. We're always excited to have Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com on the show. He's been a long-standing contributor to us reading, debating the bulls and bears of sport business going all the way back to before the Vancouver 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. This time out, slightly sad circumstances. Uh, Greg Bishop lost a friend. The hockey community lost a real special guy in Chris Snow. And uh, Greg, uh, I had no idea of your roots with Chris Snow uh, going back this far, but it's, it's both a sad story and an unbelievable story of courage, isn't it? Absolutely, Tom. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you know, this has been something that's been weighing on all of us for a number of years now, and, you know, um, I think we all sort of knew that it might come one day, but it didn't make it any easier, and I think that, you know, my thoughts first and foremost go to his wife, Kelsey, and two children, Willa and Cohen, and uh, there's a lot of stuff in the works right now. Let's see what we can do for them. Back in your university days, did you know that Chris Snow was going to be some somebody special in terms of both sport and sport media and sport communications? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was important early. Uh, I should say that I wasn't some sort of uh, amazing judge of that at the time. You know, a little background on me would probably be helpful. When I went to Syracuse, I had not um, flown on a plane before. I didn't know that it was cold and snowy. And I certainly never expected to meet a group of guys that ended up writing about sports the way that we all have dispersed. You know, my editor in college was Keith Hamill. He's a CSPN's college football insider. And at one point, Chris Snow, myself, and Jeff Hassan ran the Daily Orange sports section. Might have been my favorite stretch. I would say that Chris was always put together. I uh, found him to be smart, and smarter than me, like right away. Um, and it, it was just obvious he was going to do really well. I thought initially it would be in our business, but it wouldn't have surprised me if he succeeded at anything. 
We're talking to Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com, reflecting on Chris Snow. Uh, there, there's, there's two sides of courage, as, 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 as you mentioned, Greg. One is um, the fortitude that Chris Snow himself showed during this uh, lengthy illness and that that Kelsey and, and his kids did. Uh, it, it, it's really remarkable, the durability, the, the strength, the passion, um, uh, the courage that they showed during this process. What can we learn from the way that Chris and his family uh, dealt with this? Well, I think that um, to me, the Snow family's heroism cuts two ways. I mean, on one hand, you have Chris and everything he lived through and the example he gave the world. You know, I don't think any of us really thought that his story and what he was advocating for and raising money for ALS research and all the rest would resonate as widely or as deeply as it did. And that says nothing about the story. It says everything about the crowded world that we live in now and to see it break through and really be powerful for so many people was truly inspiring and, and to me pretty surreal just because I know Chris and I've known his stories for a long time. But I think the other side of it that gets lost more often is, you know, it's not just Chris that is fighting ALS, you know, throughout many years now. It was Kelsey and everything she did for him. You know, she's an incredible writer and she, you know, other than the blog she writes uh, called Sorry I'm Sad, which is some of the best writing I've read in years. You know, she stopped covering teams. She devoted herself to her family. And then ALS is just a monster of a disease, you know. It, it took Chris's, um, it just was step by step, you know. He couldn't tie his shoes, and then he couldn't eat. I remember on the last night before um, they were going to put the tube in and he wouldn't be able to eat solid food anymore, we found his favorite restaurant in Calgary. So I got a little emotional. Um and we ordered one of everything on the menu so that he could eat it. And, yeah, just uh, you can probably tell by the inflection in my voice just how much they meant to me. And it it would have been that way if we were just friends, you know. I just saw them in Seattle over the All-Star Game uh, festivities. And yet uh, it's pretty wild when your friend has this kind of impact on the world. When you go back to those days in Syracuse, uh, are you surprised that Chris wound up uh, becoming assistant general manager of an NHL hockey franchise in the, uh, in, in, in the Calgary Flames? Or were you expecting him more to stay on, on the broadcast or the journalism side of things back then? Uh, I, you know, I'm not surprised, although I was surprised maybe a little more at the time than I would be now. You know, I think Chris always had something like that in him. And I think when you cover sports for as long as most of us have, I'm dating myself here, you know, you get you get the feeling like you've written the same story over and over, that you've done this one. Even when it's big, potentially newsworthy, potentially award-winning, you know, you get sort of in these cyclical ruts where you feel like you're always writing the same thing. And I would be surprised if anyone who had a lot of success in my field didn't entertain trying to impact the team rather than chronicle their season or their players or their coaches. But at the time that Chris did it, nobody had, you know, this was before Lee Jenkins went to the Clippers. It was before Luke Wynn went to the Raptors, you know, in roles where you're sort of doing what we do, but you're profiling people for a much smaller audience, you know, like really trying to get into who they are and what kind of makeup they have so that um, teams can 
make good decisions, the best possible decisions they could make. And, you know, I'm sure it happened before. Uh, any examples are escaping me right now. But, you know, at that time, what has become a little bit more common wasn't common at all. And I remember when I first heard that he was going from covering the wild to turning down Sports Illustrated and the Boston Globe and working for the wild, I thought two things. One, holy cow. And two, of course it was Chris. I mean, that, that was just the kind of guy he was. We're talking to Greg Bishop about Chris Snow. Uh, it'll be a very special week this week in Calgary. Uh, certainly, um, uh, Chris uh, was very aware of rivalries in the National Hockey League. Of course, the Edmonton-Calgary rivalry is a big one. Vancouver Canucks and both the Oilers and the Flames is a big one. But a new one is... Uh, the new kids on the block in the Seattle Kraken. And Greg, you've spent many years now living in the Seattle uh, market. How surprised are you two years in that the Kraken have had this kind of success both on and off the ice and this kind of an impact on the Seattle and Pacific Northwest uh, uh, sport market? Yeah, very surprised, I'd say. You know, um, I never expected to be writing about them. Let's start with that. Um, in part because while I cover locally, you know, a lot of things that happen in Seattle, you know, it's not something that necessarily is my main job. I mostly travel the country writing about NFL players. And to see them come in and that immediate long wait list for season tickets, to see the interest in the Angry Beaver, which is my favorite hockey bar in town and the original, uh, to watch that playoff run, sometimes up close last season, uh, maybe I was a little ignorant to hockey in Seattle and the roots there, but I ultimately felt like there were some from before and people like me just didn't know. And then to watch Seattle, which is, you know, to me, a very bandwagon sports town, right? Like if you're good, people will follow. To watch early embrace the Kraken and for them to have the run they did. It's funny, but I'm currently talking to you on a bridge in Valencia, Spain, and I'm wearing a Kraken hat. So I think that probably tells you everything you need to know in one image. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'll tie that even to the first questions you asked. I mean, when I started writing about hockey again, which I've done at, at most infrequently, the first guy I talked to was Chris. He helped me find people to talk to. He helped me understand the league and what was going on in it. And he was always there to listen, even though he was fighting something that, you know, probably should have warranted. I didn't ask him for anything. And, yeah, I just think uh, I don't think I'll ever watch a hockey game again the same way necessarily, and I think that's a good thing, you know, including the Kraken. If there's one thing that Todd Lewicki and the Seattle Kraken front office and the management team have done uh, that that's really impressed you, um, what 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 is that single thing that that secret sauce that you think they've brought to the National Hockey League in the Pacific Northwest? I'd say probably finding players and developing them. You know, uh, I think because of Las Vegas' success when they became an NHL franchise, maybe some people thought that it was replicable, that it was easy, that you could just show up and pick some guys. And since the uh, acquisition rules were changed in a way that helped expansion teams, that those teams would be good. But the Kraken were bad their first year, and people kept going. 
and you kept hearing about these players, but nobody locally really knows who they are. And then you see these high draft picks come in and more people know them. And I just think at a certain point, it became clear that, you know, while it took a little bit longer in Seattle, that they had the right people in place to find elite players and develop them. And last year when I started writing about them right around the playoffs, I was struck by how many guys I was interested in. You know, whether it's venues or, you know, I remember thinking, like, why are they so hard on this, uh, you know, grew goalie guy? And uh, to me, that just speaks to interest that's spreading. You know, I don't, don't go out of my way to learn about the Kraken, but you can't escape their place in the conversation now. Greg, you know, obviously uh, the sport market, we're all about the bulls and bears of sport business, always looking at things from a sport business point of view. Uh, and, and one of the things that, of course, uh, caught my eye was the fact that they were so authentic to what the Seattle market was. Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is they were going to carve out their own identity and I saw it coming from miles away um, uh, that uh, Todd Wiki would go off the grid when it came to the name and the identity of the franchise. And sure enough, uh, uh, Seattle Kraken is what they were. But their storytelling, their sense of storytelling uh, around the Kraken uh, has become a pretty important part of everything from game presentation to the marketing of the franchise, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think Todd deserves a lot of credit for the success of the team. Now he's not actively developing or drafting players, but I don't think any of this happens without him. You know, this is a guy who has success at all levels of sports, in all manner of sports, and he's a guy who knows Seattle, who understands the landscape, who worked for a long time as the Seahawks president back when I was a young reporter covering the Seahawks, and I think it's. I wouldn't be out on a limb for saying that Todd is a visionary, and he saw something that I I don't think a lot of people saw. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that nobody else saw it because clearly there's hockey history in Seattle that really come back to the forefront. That said, I think Todd was the engine, the driver behind all of that, and it'll be interesting to see if he sticks around for the you know can we win the Stanley Cup part. We're talking to Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com on the special edition of the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. Uh, uh, Greg, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this. Seattle is a very unique market. Uh, some suggested it's a unicorn in terms of its demographics and influence, especially among young fans, uh, given the high-tech industry, uh, given, you know, some of the very progressive head offices that are based in uh, Seattle. There's a lot of disposable income there. Do you agree with the statement, given the way Seattle has embraced NHL hockey, the way they're angling for the return of the Seattle Supersonics, and building on the uh, sellout success of the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Sounders, and of course, uh, uh, I guess the frustrating Seattle Mariners, uh, uh, you know, just not being able to maintain that consistency in the stretch run and finishing outside of the playoffs. But you've got basically every major league represented, uh, including the WNBA. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that the NBA will be coming to town real soon. Uh, what is it about Seattle that gives it the capacity that it has uh, to essentially strongly support, uh, you know, all of the different franchises that are representing uh, the city? Yeah, 
Well, it's a great question, Tom. I'll try to concisely answer it as best I can. You know, to me, Seattle is a very distinct sports town, in part because the history is not super long. You know, we're talking about franchises that date back to 77 or later. Um, and in part because Seattle has a lot of options. You have a lot of transplants coming in to work at Amazon and Microsoft. You have a city that's constantly changing and evolving. You can't drive five feet without running into some sort of construction crane. Uh, you have a ton of options. We have good cultural events. We have you know, great restaurants, we have lakes and water and places to walk and hikes and the ocean's not far away and there's just a lot to do. And I, I think that Seattle as a sports town is great and problematic at the same time. I think it's great because when there are good teams, people latch onto them and people in Seattle have been fortunate. You know, we have the best uh, home stadium in football, I'd argue. We have... Um, one of the coolest histories in basketball, and you're right, they will announce soon that Vegas and Seattle are getting a team. I don't know how soon. Um, you know, you know, uh, there's great college football in an incredible stadium, one of the few that you can take a boat to the game. There's, you know, all sorts of sports stars who come through when you're looking at the Sean Kemp's and the Gary Payton's and the King Griffey Jr.'s and the Edgar Martinez's, and I could go on and on. The Storm's one of the best franchises in the WNBA in its history. The Sounders have built a real following that I think was a little unexpected. The Kraken were in the playoffs in their second year. Anyway, I sound like a local tourism official, but that is all to say <laughs> that it seems like the interest is there. But what I find really interesting about Seattle as a sports town is, you know, it, it tends to ebb and flow with the success of teams, which I don't think is that unique, but I sometimes wonder, like, Got a lot in a not that long of span if you're looking at like the history of sports. I sometimes wonder why it's not enough, <laughs> you know? Like, uh, other than the Sonics leaving, there have been more stars and more great seasons and more teams in a market that is desirable across the country than I think anyone could reasonably have expected. We can't look, uh, uh, we can't wait uh, to get connected with you once you're back in North America once you're back in your home turf. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the sport market again real soon, Greg. Uh, safe uh, flight home. Thank you for sharing the thoughts on Chris Snow. Um, it's a rem- remarkable story and an inspiring uh, story. I know it's going to be a tough uh, few days, but uh, uh, also an uplifting few days in terms of uh, you know uh, your, your intersection point with Chris. And we'll uh, look forward to uh, digging deeper on the business of the National Football League and and, uh, the NHL and the NBA and Major League Baseball uh, and Major League Soccer uh, down down the road. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Tom. Uh, Always appreciate it. And if I could just add one more thing, I don't have it in front of me, but there is a GoFundMe that has been created for the snows. should be easily accessible on uh, any kind of Google search. And, you know, if anybody listening feels inclined to donate, uh, we'd all really appreciate it. So well said. Thank you. Thank you for that, Greg. All the best. Uh, we'll look forward to chatting again real soon. He is Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com. You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Mayonette. It's a great time of year to be a sports fan. We've had this debate over and over again on this show 
obviously from a business of sport perspective, but the two big shoulder seasons are April and October. Those are the two biggest months of the year on the sport calendar. Now, setting aside this, the world's second biggest annual sport television event and North America's biggest pop culture party each and every year. Of course, we're talking about the Super Bowl uh, first, second weekend in February each and every year. Uh, CFL fans here may also look at the Grey Cup as an institution of, 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 of Canadian football, and certainly it is still one of the biggest sport television events in the country. It's not number one anymore like it used to be back in the day. Uh, the Super Bowl has leapfrogged ahead of it, but it is still a pretty special weekend in November from coast to coast. And all you need to do is see the fans coming into the Grey Cup host city that year. And this year, of course, they'll, it'll all happen in Hamilton. Certainly, October has one thing that April doesn't have, and that is the National Football League. In fact, October is the one month of the year in which you've got an overlap among all five major North American uh, sports leagues. It's the only couple of weeks in North American sport where you've got all five leagues in play. And I'm talking about the National Football League, the NBA, Major League Baseball, um, Major League Soccer, and the National Hockey League. We had a chance to speak to um, Ken Richardson, uh, our collectibles guru, our trading card expert, uh, also the co-host of Pastime Radio, the collectible show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And we talked to him about what is his favorite month of the year from a sport and a sport retail point of view. Well, I guess that depends on whether you're asking me in April or October. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I definitely love October with the start of the hockey season. It's a fresh new start for probably the sport i'm most passionate about uh you know i i really liked it the hockey and the nfl and you know there's there's no better time to watch baseball than during the playoffs so there's there's so many things that uh are attention grabbers when you're watching it in october you know it's interesting i've gone back and forth on this front and and to me the two most important shoulder seasons are april and October. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You can, as a fan of three-down football, as a fan of the Canadian Football League, you can talk about the party that is the Grey Cup. Uh, as a fan of three, uh, four-down football and the National Football League, you can talk about Super Bowl uh, month, uh, the end of that uh, Super Bowl tournament in the NFL as being, you know, prime time. But in terms of you know, shoulder season with multiple sports in play, there is nothing like October. In fact, October, to your point, is the only couple of weeks of the year in which all five major North American professional sports leagues are playing at the same time. Uh, and it lasts as long as the World Series lasts, but you've got the NBA underway, the NHL underway. That'll happen here over these next, uh, these next couple of weeks. And from that perspective, it's a biggie. I think the single biggest from a sport business point of view thing that October has that April doesn't have, and you mentioned it, it's the juggernaut that is the National Football League, an almost $20 billion a year industry. And uh, you have the NFL draft in April, 
And you have a couple of other things like NCAA Final Four and uh, uh, the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. And then you got the playoffs, games mattering most in the NHL and the NBA. But given recent Canadian team performances, there hasn't been a heck of a lot to cheer of late into the spring. So all also asking me, uh, you asking me, um, me asking you here in October, I'm going to say that I'm currently leaning towards October being the best month in sport. And to that end, it's also one of the best months for sport card trading shows here in Canada, Montreal, Toronto, which now has two major shows each year, two major expos each year. Uh, for someone like you, who has been a kid in a candy store all his life, being a collector, now being uh, one of the country's leading uh, uh, experts in trading cards and collectibles. And uh, you've got, of course, uh, the Pastime Sports uh, and Games Network behind you. Uh, uh, How would you describe just the sheer joy that you have at this time of year when so much new product comes into the marketplace and is promoted at trade shows like the one happening this weekend in Montreal and in a couple of weeks in, in, uh, in uh, Toronto? Well, it is, it is definitely a special time of year uh, on, the, you know, on the trade show circuit. Um, the biggest show of the year, of course, is the national in the U.S., uh, which is happens in the middle of the summer. But from a Canadian standpoint, which really focuses so much more on hockey, um, when you start getting into the fall, the, the, the leading trade shows in Canada really follow the hockey uh, calendar, per se. So um, they happen every six months in, in major cities, whether it's Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, um, but it's, you know, they all happen sort of at the beginning and the end of the NHL season. And, you know, our market for new products are really driven by the rookie class. And, you know, we have something really, really special this year in Connor Bedard that's driving the, the market and he hasn't even played an official NHL game yet. That's Ken Richardson, our collectibles guru, our trading card expert, and also the co-host of Pastime Radio, the collectibles show here on Sportsnet 650 Vancouver, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and the Sport Market Radio Network. Next up, some buying and selling when it comes to Stanley Cup favorites this year. You're listening to a special edition of the Sport Market. You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Mayonect. We are doing some buying and selling presented by Pastime Sports and Games here on the new home of The Sport Market, Sportsnet Vancouver, Sportsnet 650 Vancouver, and we're coming to you on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. Tom Mayanak, along with John Festinger and Aziz Rajwani, and of course Tina Farah in the producer's chair. Round two of Buy and Sell, presented by Pastime Sports and Games. And of course, you can check out Premier Allure and Preview Upper Deck Series One at pastimesports.ca. But we got three consecutive weeks of new product launches in the Canadian trading card landscape. <laughs> 
It is the week before the National Hockey League regular season. Uh, we'll ask this question again uh, after the uh, puck has been dropped on the 2023-2024 season. But I'll go to you first, Aziz Rajwani. Uh, who are you buying as the two teams that make it to the Stanley Cup final next spring? Like, okay, really? Realistically, uh Gold, Vegas Golden Knights are going to be in the running, but I think this time around the Edmonton Oilers take the Vegas Golden Knights. So on the west side, I'm picking the Edmonton Oilers. I think uh, Tricidal and McDavid and those around them, they've matured enough that I think finally th- this is their year and also the year to end the drought, the 1993 Stanley Cup drought, the Canadian drought, uh, curse, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I know people aren't going to like me for saying this, but I've lost a lot of teams. You know, I used to love the Dallas Cowboys. I had to give them up because Jerry Jones didn't treat Tom Landry correctly when he took on the ownership. I used to be a diehard. I mean, I loved the Toronto Maple Leafs because I, when I first came to Canada, I was in Toronto. I had to give them up because I've now been in Vancouver longer than I've been in Toronto. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the Toronto Maple Leafs that they finally make it through and we have an all-Canadian Stanley Cup final. That'll be just amazing. And it'll be, obviously it'll be great for the right soldiers, particularly Sportsnet. So that's what I'm predicting right now. There we go. Uh, Roger Stock just growing, you know, uh, spiking as we speak with that prediction from Aziz Rajwani, the UBC Sauter School of Business and Langara College School of Management. Uh, John Festinger, your former Executive Vice President Business Operations uh, for Canucks Sports and Entertainment. Uh, who are the two teams that square off for Lord Stanley's mug uh, next to spring? So we're really going to go from no Stanley Cup winning Canadian teams to, <coughs> excuse me, to two Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup final. I don't think so. Dare, dare to dream. And, well, it, it's, it's, it's a big dream as well. And I'll just very quickly <clears throat> say that if someone would have told me back in 1993 when I was walking on St. Catherine Street um, uh, exiting the Montreal, the old Montreal Forum, if someone would have told me this is the last time a Canadian team wins a Stanley Cup, uh, for you know uh, another you know thirty five plus years and more, uh, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. Now we've come close. Yes, we have three times. Uh, you know, uh, with the Vancouver uh, Canucks twice since nineteen ninety three with the Vancouver Canucks going to Game Seven both times. Ottawa Senators, uh, but they were really outmatched by Brian Burke and the um, uh, Anaheim uh, Ducks, and and then of course you you had the Edmonton Oilers uh, and the Calgary Flames each going to Game uh, Sevens, uh, losing to Sun Belt Markets, which is you know very very frustrating. So so there's been those opportunities, but um, I'll tell you, from a business point of view, if your prediction comes true, it will be big time here in Canada. But John Festinger is willing to place his bets. He's not buying that. No, no, I'm not. I'll tell you what's actually going to happen. Um, so I agree. Can we with- record this, please? 
So I agree with Aziz on the Edmonton Oilers, and I agree for all the reasons that Aziz gave. Um, they're going to face the New Jersey Devils in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, I think, the, and I think it will be one of the greatest, most entertaining Stanley Cup Finals ever because of the speed and skill on those two teams. So that's, uh, and, and I think the Oilers will win. I think we'll, we are due for a Canadian winner. So you're saying Quinn Hughes' brother will win the Stanley Cup? Or? Uh, I, I guess I am, oh, aren't okay. I? Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you just another, uh, you know, quick little anecdote. Uh, when I was growing up in Montreal, uh, I, I was just so blessed and fortunate as a hockey fan to have that organization winning as many cups as as it did. Now, admittedly, um, a lot of those cups uh, in the first 20 years of my life were in a six-team National Hockey League. And so uh, there were periods of time where it was either the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs who were winning the uh, uh, Stanley Cup. When was it the Leafs? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 67. Yeah. So, you know, going back, showing my baby boomer, my baby boomer roots. Uh, but there was an opportunity back in, in 2011 where the Canucks did go all the way, and the Montreal Canadiens were a team that could have, um, you know, gone a lot further. And I often imagine what would that be like as someone who was born in Montreal, now living here, now a season ticket holder of the Vancouver Canucks for for many years. And I've often, uh, you know, concluded that I, although I would be apoplectic. And it would really be tearing me apart in terms of my allegiance. I would want the Canucks to win that series because the Habs have been there and done that. And this marketplace, uh, the the kids in this marketplace, the young fans in this marketplace, hockey in this marketplace deserves what happens after you win a Stanley Cup. And it's 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 a significant afterglow business-wise. It's a significant afterglow culture-wise. And so if that ever happened, Montreal against Vancouver in the Stanley Cup final, you're saying it's going to be uh, Edmonton against uh, Toronto. But if that ever happened, uh, I would want the team that hadn't won a Stanley Cup yet to make history and finally break through. Edmonton Oilers, your pick, have won... A lot of Stanley Cups in that dynasty of the '80s, uh, you know, uh, in, into the uh, the end of the end of the 1980s. Uh, but the bottom line is, I think that might be a leap too far. It would be fantastic for the business of NHL hockey, but we might be asking for a little bit too much. Yeah. Let's let's get one team into the Stanley Cup final first. Yeah, but if the hockey gods had been on our side, they would have let the bubble Stanley Cup, you know, instead of Tampa taking it 4-1, it would have been the Canadians, hopefully, the other way around, but it wasn't meant to be, I guess. It would have been, it would have been lovely for them to have obviously won the last one and then to re-win it again uh, to break their own curse, quote-unquote. If the hockey gods were on our side, Gary Bettman wouldn't be commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. He is John Festinger, Aziz Rajwani. We now go to Tino Farah in the producer's chair. In this segment of Buy and Sell, who are you buying as Stanley Cup champions uh, 2024? You know, last year I got so burned on my take that uh, the Rangers were going to get it done, and then they just they ran out of gas in the playoffs. I'm going to go back to old tr- – I don't know. How do you bet against Edmonton, though? I'm, like, debating myself while we talk. I'll say out of the West, 
Yeah, I agree with Aziz. I would say Edmonton gets it done. I hate that I have to agree with Aziz here, but uh, out of the East, I'll take the Rangers to get it done. Show some respect for your elders. <laughs> show, your, show some respect for your elders. Well, you know what's interesting is that if you break it down and we're giving Aziz a hard time, we should actually be honoring him for not singing this segment of Buy and Sell. But when you break it down, it isn't sticking your neck out too far to suggest that this might be the Edmonton Oilers' year. And then when you look at the East, uh, you know, a lot of pressure, but, you know, at some point, you'd expect this core with a couple of tweaks that have been made by uh, 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 Brad Trey Livin um, uh, of the Calgary, uh, formerly the Calgary Flames, now the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not as outlandish as we've been making it out to be, but it's just so different for us as both fans and observers and analysts of the National Hockey League because it hasn't been a good country to be from um, given the fact that every single Stanley Cup since 1994 has been won by an American-based team. Big shout-out and thanks to Tim Ryan for joining us. Also to Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com. John Festinger of uh, TRU and the UBC Law School. And also Ken Richardson of Pastime Sports and Games. You've been listening to this special edition of the Sport Market on Sportsnet 650 Vancouver, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and the Sport Market Radio Network.